1: Hello there, Nookie. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit, and we welcome you to a very special week here on the program. The show is called by its title for a very special reason. What women and other wonderful humans want may concentrate on the authentic lives of so many great women in the kink-friendly industries. But there are other wonderful humans who have stories to tell as well. In our very first two-part episode, we present someone who has been giving a platform for models to show off their best superheroine and fetish selves in a quality manner, unmatched by many, and he's been doing it for more than a quarter of a century. He's given men the opportunity to visualize those fantasies and starting a company in the early days of the internet that pioneered the inclusion of kink and fetish material online. In part one of our show, we talk about how that all came to be with the man who brought O Girl into our lives and a cast of dozens of the world's most famous fetish models to the screen. Jim Weather's bondage, fetish photographer, and producer career has spanned 25 years. Originally starting shortviewsvideo.com with his late partner, Corey Mr. T. Thompson, Jim strove to create content that was high gloss and beautiful. Jim left Short Fuse in 2001 and opened up the Bondage Cafe at bondagecafe.com. He's known for his work with Dita Von Teese, Karina, Christina Carter, Diana Knight, Kendra James, Emily Addison, Randy Moore, Angela Summers, and countless others. He's been featured in many fetish magazines, as well as a book entitled Jim Weathers' Kinky Bondage Obsession. Jim is also known for his elaborate superheroine productions, notably The Adventures of O-Girl and Nylonica, starring the aforementioned Christina Carter, Diana Knight, and Kendra James, and the Perils of Batgirl film starring Angela Summers and Candle. A new Perils of Batgirl movie has just been filmed, and will be released later this year. Now, on what women and other wonderful humans want, the legendary Jim Weathers in part one of our interview.
0: It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it The
1: First Five. First time you ever tied up a woman, and what led you to that?
2: Oh, my Lord are we talking a long time ago probably about seven age 7 maybe really i say yeah uh, are you talking about like a like a grown woman or like when i was a kid so first the um, th-
1: first time you can ever remember putting ropes on a on uh, a I female probably,
2: i was probably like 7 or 8 years old uh, i i mean i was um, I knew I was into bondage since I was a little kid, little, little kid. I mean, this is not one of those things that happened at, you know, age 20 or something. Um, and so that that would probably be it. Yeah, I remember it was during a camping trip. It's a very, very bizarre memory. But um, yeah, there you go.
1: Young. This will probably go into that same category. First time okay. you knew Batgirl was going to change your life age
2: five i watched it live when i was a little kid and uh, i was a huge batgirl fan when i was a five-year-old i mean i'm this this goes way back anybody who's watched my movies and stuff will understand that i'm somewhat of a fanatic in that way um certainly and the people who watched the new movie that i'm making now will certainly say okay yeah he's still doing it you know that's kind of the way that is um, yeah 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 it, it, since a little kid man little kid
1: we share that origin story with each other because i remember watching batman live on the i believe it was wednesday and thursday nights that it was yes. air back to back and remembering watching them uh, when i was a kid and then when and I've shared this story on the show, when I had my first orgasm and didn't even know what it was, Batgirl was on the screen.
2: Well, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I am think this is 1968. I think I was five years old. So, Because mm-hmm. um, it aired in the, well, maybe I was six. I mean, it was really close to that age. And um, I remember watching all that stuff live. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Do you remember the first short story you ever wrote about superheroines? Oh, yeah. Well, it was a Perils of Batgirl,
2: a Perils of Batgirl story I wrote as an anonymous person back in the mid-90s, maybe. Um, that sort of came, that actually came about because I stupidly uh, commented on someone else's story back in. I don't know, ninety-four, ninety-three, something like that. And didn't think I didn't think the person was basically the way he laid out the story is very hard to read because of the paragraphs. And you know how people just run on stuff and you can't read them. And I think I said something stupid. And he said, Well, if you think you're so great, why don't you write something yourself? Which is a perfectly legitimate thing to say honestly, I would tell someone else that now. So I said, fine, I will. And I went about writing this long, long story that has now become, um, people still ask me about it now, you know, 25, you are 25 years later. Um, And interestingly enough, I've recreated some of that story in, uh, in movies so that i've made so uh, that's where that came from
1: first time you saw christina carter in the o girl outfit and your reaction to it
2: um well i the first o girl was andrea Neal, and i i'll just go back with this backstory on all of this because i'm sure people do or don't want to hear it but i'm gonna <laughs> tell it away um Back in 1999-ish uh, with my first partner, Corey Thompson, that we opened short fuse with, um, I told them I wanted to do a superhero story to film it. And, and I didn't even film it on video. I just filmed it on pictures. And I couldn't do Batgirl at the time because it, I would have been sued by uh, DC. They, they would not have allowed that at all. So I, had to come up with a character. So I created this O-Girl character because it was the only name that was not taken. <laughs> Every other name's taken, you know, Canary Girl, Red Orchard Girl, whatever, they're all taken. So I came up with O-Girl and I thought that was cool and it kind of sounded stupid, but hey, there you go. So I shot this thing with Andrea and Neal and it was really popular, but then she retired. So I had to make had to have a new O girl, and then I met Christina, at, I think it was one of my birthday dinners or something, <laughs> and um, decided I was going to make a new O girl in like 2004. And I, rather than audition her, I tied her to a chair with a fake bomb and told her to like struggle like it was for real, and she did, I and mean, she was really good at it. And I thought, okay, well that's that's good. You're good. You would you like to be O girl? And she was surprised, you know, by all of that. And then I had a custom outfit made for her and she put it on and with the corset and everything. And it was, it was pretty spectacular, to be honest with you. And she kind of just took the role over and now everybody thinks that that's the only old girl there ever was. You know, that's kind of how that works.
1: I remember the original O girl, uh, Andrea with her, purple cat suit and i think it was nicole sheridan was playing the baddie and oh was she good
2: (laughs) oh my god it was uh, that movie was such a uh, such a learning i guess that's a good word learning experience for me um it was nuts and uh you know i filmed it terribly and um made every mistake you could possibly make It's still, it's still a cool, it's a cool story. Um, I just redid the sort of hourglass peril sort of thing, which is why I have about 1500 pounds of little teeny beads in my living room right now. Um, And I'm not kidding. Um, And uh, I did it the right way now. And it's, spectacular I think that um, people I consider myself a superhero and snob and uh, when I say that I mean that either I'm going to I've told a lot of people this and they all know this about me I'm either going to do it here or I'm not going to do it at all right you'll put my hand way up as Mm -hmm. high as I can either I'm going to go all out and recreate batman from 1966 or i'm not going to do it that's that's kind of how it works so people have been like wondering if i've retired from the superheroine genre because i haven't made a movie in a long time and i've kind of surprised them all with um oh look no no i haven't i haven't retired um i just we just had uh, angela summers and randy moore in a big plexiglass box that filled up with beads and uh, which look like little teeny pieces of sand. And it was, uh, no one has done this ever. That's kind of the way it is, right? Um, not even in mainstream movie well, not really in mainstream movies, nobody's done this before. Not, um, they faked it, right? and shot about two seconds of it, but no one's ever really done it. Well, now they have, because i just done it. <laughs> I feel so, uh, this is me being uh, um, super proud. I'm, I'm proud everybody did such a great job.
1: When's so, the first time you ever picked up a movie camera? A movie camera? 1997.
2: First time I ever like picked up a photo camera was 1997. Hmm. I was uh, 35 years old. Never had never taken a picture in my life, really. Never really owned a camera. Didn't know what an f stop was. Didn't know what a strobe was. Um, I knew, I mean, I met this guy online, and then we went and had a drink and decided to start a company. And um, it was very off the cuff, arbitrary decision that was made. And I, I had a clear vision in my head of what I wanted to do. very, very clear. Um I nobody at the time was doing bondage and fetish the way I thought it should be done. And no one at all. I mean the the Germans were doing sort of gas masky sort of stuff and when there's Jay Edwards doing sort of lingerie bondage and and then there's Harmony doing sort of their own brand of stuff. But nobody was really doing what I would consider like high gloss, John Willy sort of um, cool bondage that looked like that. And, and it took me, I don't know, as a photographer, maybe it took me 12 years to figure out how to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was pretty good at the rigging part and the tying up girls part pretty much immediately you know instantly but the actual how they how the video looked or how the images looked took a long time to figure out how to do um still learning the video part but um yeah i mean that basically i, I the vision it took about 12 years for what i had in my head in 97 to show up around about 2008 or 9 i think
1: when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we'll find out how Jim Weathers lit a short fuse and created an explosion the likes of which Fetish had never seen when we return.
0: Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports, no, not the jet ski kind, and you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com.
1: Hi folks, Key Barrett here. And I've got a question for you. Do you think your wife or girlfriend makes the best decisions and you want to support her any way you can? Ladies, do you think your partner works best when they're told exactly what you want? You both might be looking for a female-led relationship. From mild to wild, these strong relationships have one thing in common. Satisfaction. Read Surrender Submit Server on Audible, Kindle, and paperback today to start your female-led journey, and good luck.
0: The first time I put it on, it was definitely not what I was expecting. You would expect it's a lot more forgiving, but it's very difficult to slide on the rubber, even with a ton of lube. It's very tight, constricting, and you really have to take your time and wiggle yourself in.
1: The enigmatic Mistress Datura, the rubber creature, next Tuesday on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want.
0: We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want.
1: Welcome back to the show, joined by the head chef at the Bondage Cafe, the one, the only Jim Weathers.
2: Sure. I'm a legend in my own mind. Sure.
1: Well, I remember the days when I had a 28-8 modem, and I would be so excited to see whatever scans that would come through my modem
2: and oh to actually God, yeah. see
1: a bondage picture there. I had okay. never seen one before other than in magazines. Absolutely. Tell me how the scans started and how you and Corey started this vision of short views. Oh boy. Well, We were on a,
2: I think it was like bondage IRC chat room that all all of us, a whole bunch of us used to hang out in. Uh, Phil Carson and a bunch of, I mean, just a bunch of other people from way back in the day. And Corey had been working with Lorelei at Bedroom Bondage and he had done a... um, he had PA'd, you know, production assistant, basically. Mm-hmm. Held the rope while she tied somebody up, I think, pretty much. And he was so full of himself online. This is Corey Thompson, this very interesting character. And I have a very dry sense of humor because I grew up in, in Britain when I was a kid. And I, I said something crappy. I don't know what I said. At this point, Is 20 God, five years ago or whatever it is now um but he thought that everybody else was sucking up to him and i said something like i'll get off your high horse or something but we had already we had talked for a long time before this and he i would me or dm'd me you know direct message and said uh oh where do you live and i told him and it turned out to be 20 minutes from him wow so which is an odd thing. And I was selling computers at the time, so um, successfully, but but I was very unhappy doing it. And he said, I wanna go have a drink with you. And I said, okay, great, no problem. I'm gonna come pick you up in 20 minutes. And this is 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. <laughs> I believe, I, just arbitrary, you know? And I said, I work tomorrow. Oh no, I'm coming to pick you up. So he picked me up and he drove me down to, this bikini strip bar which I don't frequent and we sat at the bar wouldn't get any dances from any of the girls we just talked and he had this idea of starting a bondage company and he knew that I have very specific tastes and very specific ideas and I told him what I wanted to do if we were going to do this this is what I would do you know I would buy real corsets and real stockings and real super high heels and awesome fetish latex outfits. And I would make it look like Suze Randall, but not because it would be real bondage. And no, 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 Sort of John Willie come to life, right? Mm-hmm. Who was a uh, artist from the late 50s, early 60s. And um, he thought that was great. And we decided that night, right then and there, that we were going to do it, right? It was just completely arbitrary. It was completely, if that phone call had happened, I would never be doing this as a job. I mean, absolutely Mm -hmm. never would have considered even starting it. But that happened. We did it. I was making money selling computers at the time. And so I took that money and bought a bunch of stuff, you know. Um, and we started originally we were just going to sell videos and we took the occasional bad photo um, to support that process and I had as I've said before I had zero idea what a camera was right I knew what I wanted it to look like but I had absolutely no idea how to do it and we were shooting on Auto, which anybody understands, is just like you turn on auto and hit it, and what comes out comes out. And remember, we're shooting on film, right? So it's a serious learning process, right? You don't know what it's going to look like until it shows up developed. And I decided that I was going to shoot manual. I was going to learn how to be a photographer. So I went to my friend at, who was a manager of this. Dark room place and who developed our stuff and i said how how do i do this and he just sort of handed, handed me books here because photographers never want to teach each other how to shoot photography mm-hmm. so that's what i did and i learned the hard way made mistakes and ruined all entire shoots and you know oh look why is why are my pictures blue oh, good luck <laughs> um And that's what we did. We started, decided to start short views and we gave away because we're really selling videos and not pictures. We were, we gave away the website for like a year. It was free. We post 20 pictures a week or something like that. I mean, it was not a big deal. And we had a lot of people coming to our website and we were, we were very, very competitive with one another. Corey and I were really, really good friends, best friends. And we would trade off scenes like i would shoot his stuff and he would shoot my stuff on video and every time he did something i would go "Hmm, i could do better than that (laughs) and he was the same way he was very competitive in, in what he wanted to do and he was very artistic and super talented and so we got better really fast you know um I think i was a better rigger than him but i think he was a better photographer than me and um we just got better and better and better and then one day we decided we would charge people you know why are we giving all these pictures away for free i think we could probably have a membership site and so we opened a membership site and it exploded like crazy and within a year i was making more money as a photographer than I was selling computers. And so I ended up quitting my computer job and just becoming a photographer. That's really how it happened. Wow. And, and so we ran short fuse and then Corey got into his really sad story, got into a big drug problem with methamphetamine and I ended up having to leave short fuse and uh, that all just went downhill for him from there. It was a disaster. Anybody wants to read that can go to read my blog on my website. And uh, it explains it. But, um, you know, I decided to branch out on my own and start a new site called the Bondage Cafe. And it's called the Bondage Cafe because all the rest of the names were taken. Right? <laughs> Seems you know, to be a know, theme here. <laughs> you know, when you, you know when you create, I mean, it's like everything else, you know, you create a name, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone looks at it and, and you look at it originally and it looks really stupid, right? I, I wanted to be like the Bondage Hotel or the Bondage Motel or something like that. And then they were all taken. So I decided that, oh, the Bondage Cafe is not taken. Oh, that's a really dumb name, right? Looks stupid. It's you know, it oh, I'll just, I'll use that for now until I come up with a better name, right? Well, turns out it was a good name. So, um, as and I know I'm being very long-winded, but it's an interest, interesting story. There was a, I got the name, and I hadn't actually left Short Fuse yet. I knew I wanted to, and I was trying to get Corey to stop doing drugs, but was completely incapable of doing that. And so I had gotten this web, this name. I had already secured it, but I hadn't opened the site yet. And I got an email from this guy in Germany who wanted to use some of my pictures for his front of his website he was creating called TheBondageCafe.de. <laughs> okay. And I didn't write him back originally because I'm not going to tell him. Well, actually, I'm opening the site called the TheBondageCafe, but I can't tell my partner yet, so, so I didn't really tell him. And then, of course, I opened the cafe like four months later, and the guy got all mad at me, telling me that I'd stolen his name. And I wrote him back and said, why did you not pick bondagecafe.com when you opened your site? Well, it was taken. I said, yeah, I owned it. I owned it. <laughs> right? So um, that's kind of how that worked.
1: That's an amazing story. and. You have met some amazing models and some amazing people. I mean, yes. the, if you were going to write a who's who of fetish models, all you have to do is go to your site and just read the list there.
2: <laughs> Correct. I, I would say that um, I've been incredibly fortunate. Uh, there's really only one person who was Tiana Cambridge back in the day that I would have wanted to work with that I never got to. Um, Corey was really good at at schmoozing people, you know, and I, I wanted to work with Dita for a long time and I was a big fan of hers and I went and met, she was at AVN or some, I think it was AVN and I went up to her booth and introduced myself and she was like, "Mm." you know, hi, I'm Jim Weathers and I'm the bondage photographer and I'd really like to shoot you. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was so heartbroken. I was just like, oh. Well, it t- turns out two months later, we, we shot her. <laughs> and it um, turns out that she had been roofied the night before, which is oh, the reason wow. that she was so not all there with me. You know, she would just been, she felt she was literally throwing up in between being on the floor that's kind of gives you an idea of who she is as a person as a person who works and turned out we turned into friends and and um uh and shot a she asked me to shoot a music video with her in 2017 so it's not like uh yeah you know, will you come tie me up Jamie, you're the only person i let tie me up okay You know. <laughs> um that's one of those things i um but i've worked with literally everybody who's at the time was anybody i guess that's how it works right
1: who was the first model that you and i'll say this very carefully but you just fell in love with
2: uh you mean that i work with now or that i never worked with
1: no i would say that you have worked with meaning the first model that you just went oh my god this is a match made in heaven
2: Wow, there are a whole bunch of them, to be honest with you. You don't first have to name just first, one. No, no, the first one who, i will think about this. It really started with Eve Ellis, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a long time ago. She, I, she was the second person I ever worked with professionally. She is the person that told everyone else at the time that Corey and I weren't weirdos Hmm. and that we were nice people and that we should work with us so it was like the opening of the floodgates with every big um fetish model would work with us at that time just instantly we became like yeah these guys are okay and so we ended up working with you know everybody um people that i had looked at magazines for years you know it's like oh my god This person's in the room in front of me. Yeah. But probably the Andrea Neal was probably the one that everybody fell in love with, though, as a person. The first one, because she was just the most, or is just the most down to earth, awesome person you could meet. And she was so good at her job and she was so. You know, I mean, we would sit, I would stop the camera and go, Are are you okay? And she'd go, Yeah, I'm fine. What's wrong? Because she's acting all damsels and distressy, and she's doing it in such a way that it's not like a saw movie realistic. Okay. It's definitely sort of damsel and distressy, campy sort of way, but in a way that you believe. I'm in the room and I believe it, right? I'm shooting it and I believed it. So the people out there obviously believed it because that's the person that she was. And from that, I mean, you go on to Sadie Bell and Sasha Monet and Christina Carter and Kendra James and uh, just on and on and on, Lori Wallace and Gigi Allen. I mean, just tons and tons of people. Um, They're all awesome you know and most of them like Christina and Kendra and, and uh, they're just real like really good friends of mine now we've been friends for 15 16 years sort of thing and um, that's you get a crush on all these girls so they're just awesome people to people to be around you know not just to work with they just um, you've you've talked to Christina and Kendra, you understand. I mean, they're just—they are who you—they are who they are on camera. They're not, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's not a job. Obviously, it is, but they like doing fetish because they like fetish. You know. I think that the, the thing that a lot of people wonder about is, you know, are these people doing this? as a paycheck thing, or are they into it or not into it? And most everybody I work with is into it because you could, you can't do this job for any period of time and not be. You can't. Um, I could only name a couple people that I know who are really good at it, but didn't really like it in in the, and I'm talking over, what is it? 25 years now I've been doing this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that maybe I'm. Obviously, it's it's a job, but it's not in some ways. I, I hard to describe this situation.
1: But love what you do, and you'll never work. A day they they in your really life.
2: right. I, I love what I do. Not the picture editing part. That part, I could so never edit another picture in my life and be happy, but the especially writing scripts and shooting crazy movies. Um, I still love it. Obviously I just did it. So um, that's invigorating, you know, editing a, a complicated, O'Girl oh, girl type of movie is a lot of fun. I really love doing that because it's challenging and, and you're creating something out of a lot of different takes and it'll, it, you know, and putting it, it's just, that's the best of both worlds, I think, for, for all of this.
1: You mentioned that Eve Ellis was the one that opened the door. Yes. By saying, hey, these guys aren't weirdos. Correct. There are a lot of people that claim to be fetish producers and content producers and bondage yeah. producers. I know that when I've done this podcast, I say I'm very proud of being the podcaster that doesn't hold a microphone in one hand and have his other hand down his pants. Sure. Because there's are a lot that are like that, that it's about getting off talking to the people, but I enjoy getting to know the real them. Sure. What has been your key to keeping your reputation as it is and what is the thing that you're most proud of in doing it?
2: Well, that's a good question. Wow. Um, it, it's a pretty simple thing, to be honest with you. I'm sorry, the sun's kind of right in the window here. Maybe I could <laughs> do it a little bit. This might make it a little bit better. Um, there, it's a little better. Uh, to be honest with you, it's a very simple thing. Uh, Treat people the way you want to be treated and um, don't be a dick and don't cross the boundary line, you know, Um, if you if you want to do this job because you want a girlfriend, it's going to be a problem, right? Because that's not the way it is. You know, you're doing a, you're doing a thing that somebody is allowing you to tie them up and really make them helpless. And you can't take advantage of that situation. You just can't. It's, it's wrong on so many levels, but there are so many stories of people that do that. I know it happens. I think that I've always tried to be honest with people. Uh, There's some things in this business, like people do trade shoots where they don't actually get paid. They just get content. And a lot of producers will take advantage of that. And for short-term gain, you know, let's say that we've shot a scene and I get a scene and you get a scene, right? And that that photographer will end up not giving the pictures to the person and then using both sets and then, you know. It's stupid because they're not going to, the person's not going to work with you again, right? If you treat them badly, it's a very small little cliquey business. Everyone knows everyone, right? If you do something bad, then it's going to be known pretty much instantaneously by everyone. So I have tried my very, very best not to be a dick and not to treat people badly and not to overstep my bounds. Right? Mm-hmm. This might be difficult for people to understand if if I'm holding a vibrator to Christina Carter and she's coming over and over again, right? People are going to go, isn't that a boundary that you are? Yeah, but that's a boundary that's understood. And I have a questionnaire that I give models. It's 16 pages long, okay? And has everything about everything that I do and don't do. And it's listed from a, I love it, I like it, I'll do it. I can't stand it, I won't do it, right? So you can gauge, I can gauge pretty much exactly where somebody's head is, if they're honest, and most people are when they fill this stuff out, where they are honest about where they are and what they want to do. And I know this person's this person, right? And having worked with all of these people for so long We know each other really well. I know exactly what everybody wants and likes and doesn't like, right? And so I, if someone says to me, I don't do blindfolds, right? Don't, and I'm going to be expletive, don't fucking put a blindfold Mm -hmm. on that person. Because there's a reason they don't like it. There's a reason they told you they don't like it. And there are so many instances that I've heard of producers being told, I'll do this and this and this, but please don't do this. And they have a personal thing that they want to, you know, they immediately go to the thing they're not supposed to do. You can. I don't know if you can explain that to me, because I don't understand why people would do that. That's not in my nature. But that is what you don't wanna do. That's the kind of thing. Make sure you have communication with the person you're talking to and know exactly what is going on. Because when they're tied up and have a gag in their mouth, they're gonna be able to tell you specifically quite so well what is okay and what's not okay, if you understand. I, it I can tell because I can look at body language. And, pretty empathetic Um, and the other thing that i would have to say and and i we've had this discussion so many times with people you know these are all my friends and we've discussed this stuff till we're blue in the face but you know i have to tell people when they're okay and when they're not okay okay so somebody comes to work for me and I'm Jim Weathers, regardless of whether or not I'm in my head, Jim Weathers. I'm really not, I'm just Jim. But to some people out there, I'm this thing, right? This entity that um, is quote unquote, famous in this business or whatever. So they'll come with this, I wanna please Jim Weathers thing, right? Even if I have a problem, I'm not going to tell Jim I'm having a problem because I'm going to power through and I'm going to be fine and I'm not going to be a wimp and disappoint him, right? So I, as the grown up in the room, have to look at them and say, you're not okay. We're stopping. We're done. It, it's, it's not worth, one extra picture is not worth it five extra, you know, oh, I just need five pictures. Or I just need one more minute of video. And it doesn't work that way. You know, I have scissors. I cut ropes off people all the time because that's what I do. And they've gotten very upset about it. I've had models break down crying because they thought they failed, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas in fact, I tell them, you're not failing. It's just your body didn't like this situation today. And I don't care about the content. I only care about you. You know, content doesn't mean dick, really. Do it again later. Do something else. You know, this isn't working. We'll do something else. Uh, There's no need to push the envelope and then you're going to hurt somebody. And that's, knocking on wood, that is the thing that I'm, I guess, most proud of is I, I've really not injured anybody badly. I had one accident where somebody sort of fell. That was 14 years ago, right? Um, that won't happen again. So I think that answers the question. What? Have an understanding of what you're doing, and if you're a guy with camera, what they call a GWC, and that's fine because everybody at one time or another is a GWC before they, I was right. Um, treat people with respect, you know. I think that's it. Well, that's an easy question.
1: Answer. Jim Weathers, you have just given a master class in scene negotiation because that's what it is. It is the highest point of scene negotiation and respectfully negotiating with a partner.
2: Right. I mean, that the situation is that if you, let's say that we had um, I know I'm I never generally have some sort of huge master plan when I go to work. I'm sort of famous for being um, people who have come to FetishCon or whatever and watch my seminars uh, that I give every once in a while are just kind of shocked that I just kind of go with the flow, right? I don't really know what I'm going to do until I'm done. It's just like one thing follows another, follows another. And just, you need to get an understanding, have a feeling, you, you're, you're in charge. Here's the, the thing is, as a person who does bondage, for instance, it's unlike a lot of other things, it's really dangerous. It can be really dangerous if you're not careful. And if you don't take care of the person that you're tying up, Right. Um, you're in charge of this person and they have it sounds stupid but they have they should have all the power in the in the relationship that you have in the scene that you have what they say goes always and as long as you really try to open some empathy you know get some sort of empathy going on with the person in front of you and you listen to what they are saying, sounds sounds simple, or you look at what their body, what they're doing and what their body language is, then you're gonna be okay. But the minute you start to disregard that, and we've all, all of us who've done this for a very long time, I have too, did not pick up the signs that I saw later and you look at them and you just want to hit yourself over the head. Like, how could you not have seen that right there, right? That's what you really need to do. You need to make sure that you take care of the people that you're working with. They're the most important. And what you're doing, whatever scene you're doing, whatever concept you have in your head that you want to do is not important. You better be able, you better be willing to completely scrap an hour's worth of work or 35 minutes worth of time because there's a problem. Nope, not happening today. It's happened with Christina. That's happened with Kendra. And it just happens, right? This is not happening today, this thing that we wanted to do. So you do something else, scrap it it's not worth it. And um I guess that maybe that's where my reputation has come from. I don't know. I know that um I've had very few problems with models over the years. I can think of a couple that really didn't like me. And that you know, that happens, you know. There's not much you can do. But most of the time uh, the people, yeah, they all want they all like working with me. So um maybe it's because i treat them well i don't know
1: that's a beautiful thing when we return on what women and other wonderful humans want we're going to talk about some of the things outside the models themselves that make bondage cafe and the movies of jim weathers so amazing when we return
2: This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative,
1: eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and
2: female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can
1: ever imagine. Yes Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Realizing that you're a polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes
2: a variety of sections on poly-specific dating such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works. Real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should. Dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. This is Tanya Tate.
0: And have you listened to my podcast? Tanya Tate presents MILF's Making Money. I share a whole lot of positivity, tips, and tools on how myself and other women in the adult industry make money on premium social media platforms. If you want to hear me interview many different guests, then get yourself over there milfsmakingmoney.com. And you can also search. My name, MILFs Making Money, on all of your usual podcast platforms. And if you enjoyed listening to What Women Want podcast, make sure you get yourself over and subscribe to my podcast, MILFsMakingMoney.com. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please... Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want.
1: Welcome back to the show, joined by Jim Weathers, who I have admired his work, as have so many for so long. And one of the things that is so amazing, Jim, is the sets that you have. Yes. First of all, I don't know how you have the space to do a lot of this, how somebody can have a quicksand pit in the middle of whatever they're doing. It's just amazing to me, all the different things that you do. How do you do it?
2: I've been asked that question before, believe it or not how do you do what you do um the the bottom line is this um as i said earlier i'm either going to do and you can't see but i'm going to stick my hand way over my head that or i'm not going to do it you know um from the very beginning i i wanted to create you know 1966 batman peril stuff and and you can't do that without building elaborate stuff. So I learned how to build elaborate stuff from, from doing it. Really. It's kind of how it worked. I mean, every, there are so many people that have helped in the years. I mean, we talked about earlier, there's, or you mentioned earlier, This we did these scenes in the original Ogre movie and, and with Christina Carter and we made this thing called the uh, which originally was going to be the Orgasmatron, but then I realized that'd been taken. You know, Woody Allen movie, I think. So, I were Barbarella, and so I renamed Lustomatic 3000 because everything's a 3000 with me. <laughs> and um, I had, I had the concept of what I wanted it to kind of look like, but I also had people. There was a set designer guy that I knew, and he and my assistant and myself and a bunch of other people built this crazy thing. Uh, it well beyond my ability to do, you know, it's other people helping. It's always the case with this stuff. And then we, so we have this entire set, set piece built. It's like, I like to imagine sort of a modular set. It's like put together. You can't move anything. It's all in place. There's gauges and dials and this slab thing. And uh, I did the seat part, you know, the little seat part. I actually uh, carved that myself. Um, but we get Christina in there, and it's just basically her with her arms over her head leaning back on this thing. It wouldn't, that doesn't sound very difficult for the types of things that we've done with Christina over the years. Well, Christine, that was a problem. That scene was a problem because Christine, Christina basically, um, with a corset on or arms over her head or something, started feeling bad pretty much instantaneously. Mm. So we would film, this will give you an idea about Christina as well. I, this is one of those times I can't change it. I can't just go, well, we'll do something else. No, it's taken us two weeks to build this set, and we've got all these people here, and we're shooting this thing, and Christina's like, no, we're just going to do it, you know. Well, it took us five hours to shoot it, because we shot it in five-minute increments, right? Five minutes, Christina feels bad for 40 minutes. Five minutes, Christina, that sort of thing's Mm -hmm. going on, and so it was just one of those things where she didn't feel good. It wasn't it wasn't dangerous it just was you know i'm gonna be ill type of deal right so that's that gives you an idea of some things that happened and and how much of a trooper she is she just wanted you know i want to make this look good i want to make it happen so we shot that i built a quicksand set in my studio um that was, uh, that was interesting, you know. Um, that was another one of those circumstances where I did something and it turned out to be 10 times better than I could have ever expected it to be, right? Uh, I built this big, huge set and, it was, you know, it's like a Muppet set. It's off the ground, you know, obviously it has to be off the ground five feet off the ground and it's 16 feet by 16 feet and in the middle of it's a big huge water tank and we have a lift mechanism on the inside of it that's pneumatic that raises and lowers and I put a spa heater in it because we were going to shoot in January and it was 55 degrees the water was 55 degrees right can't do that mm-hmm. so it was this warm hot tubby sort of thing as it turns out, and there's a whole bunch of this really super fine cork on top of it. I'm letting everybody know how this was done now, um, mm-hmm. but it looks like sand. It's amazing, and it's obviously it floats. And um, so Christine and and Christina and Kendra get in it, and I'm worried that this is just going to be another of those situations where it's a really difficult thing to film and. Uh, they're going to hate it. And, you know, that sort of situation. I was so wrong. We finished and then they were like, this is the most fun thing I've ever done ever, you know? (laughs) And then they jump back in it later and they're playing around in it. And and I'm like, okay, well, all right, good, good. Everybody's having fun. And then everybody who did it had a blast, right? They all thought it was great. And the only person who didn't think it was great was me because I had to clean it up. (laughs) And I had ever after each one of those shoots I had to go in there and drain it and clean out all the stuff and go underneath the lift mechanism with a hose and then it's dripping all over me and and I'm just looking at going I'm never doing this again I am never this it's me the next day I am (laughs) never doing this again there's cork everywhere it's it just migrated everywhere. It's all over everything, everywhere, all of the studio, you know. And uh, you're just cleaning up for days, literally. And I'm never doing that again. And then a couple months later, I'd be like, Jim, I want to shoot one of those things. Okay, fine, <laughs> okay, fine, we'll do And and the similar thing has just happened. I built. Um, <sighs> Angela came to my birthday party. This is how this happened. Angela Summers came to my birthday party and um, I, just 59 years old, which is oh, awful. Anyway, I had this party and everybody came and it was a blast. And she sort of, a, I haven't shot her in a number of years. She's just sort of been not doing this. She's really not been doing it. She's been doing other things. And she said that she really wondered if she was any good in the Batgirl movie I shot back in 2013. 2013 and I was like are you crazy you're phenomenal on this you know and she goes oh I think I could have done it better I really I think we should you know like do another one and I was as shocked as anybody you know the situation I said are you sure yeah I really want to do that and I'm thinking okay everybody's drunk you know it's two o'clock in the morning and everybody's drunk and by tomorrow she's going to have different thoughts about what this is nope next day sober i really want to do this i'm dead serious i'm like okay i'll write a script right and then i asked candle who i who had really hasn't worked either in a number of years and she was immediate because she played catwoman in the original one that i shot and she was like oh yeah i want to do that uh okay and then Randy Moore says, Oh, I want to do that. Right. And so we end. So I'm like, Okay, well, I'll, I'll write a script then. So I sat down and I hadn't written a really complicated script in probably 10 years. Well, eight years. And um, I'm a pretty good writer, as it turns out. I keep forgetting these things. That's how I started. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a 49 page screenplay which is a long screenplay right and in it i had these thoughts of you know i have to create these perils right this is a the part of the deal and so we were talking and i had this idea of, like well that's a crazy you could build a box and we could fill it up with like sand sort of material and i did that with andrew and neal but it really wasn't that great and lots of problems with it and if I did it for real, it would be better now. And both Randy and Angela were just super into this concept, right? Oh, we want to do that. And I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be way too much money and way too difficult. And I'm going to have to shoot it at home in my living room. And it's going to be a huge mess, right? Oh, no, 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 it would be great. So Randy like does some research on like the material for it which is hilarious. No, Jim, you could use this, right? So we ended up, I was like, okay, fine. And I went on the internet to some various forums and I said, if you wanna see this scene in this movie, then you're gonna to have to contribute some money, basically. And people did, people were very thrilled about it and they helped make it happen. So I went back to those two and said, okay, I guess we're gonna do this, right? I need to order like 1,500 pounds, which is about 40 cubic feet a lot. Just for people who understand what that is, you really don't until you've seen it, of these little plastic pellets that are used in bean bags, basically. They weigh less than water. Um, so they're not super heavy, and um, but they're not light either. and I had to build a plexiglass box that's seven feet high and, you know, four feet wide and two feet deep, sort of thing. And then I got COVID, Mm -hmm. right? Literally got COVID three weeks before I was going to shoot this movie. So I can't have anybody help me now, can I? So I have to build this freaking box by myself. Designed it, built it. I had some people help me put the plexiglass in because it weighed 150 pounds and I can't. Moving that stuff by yourself is pretty difficult. But pretty much built it, painted it, designed it, did it. Built a big, huge hopper, not on top of them, but behind them, which would hold all the stuff. Uh, Because it's pretty much got to flow straight down. This stuff doesn't flow like water, right? And really didn't have a chance to test whether this was all going to work or not, right? Because I just, there was no way. I didn't ran out of time. I didn't have people to help. I had COVID, blah, blah, blah. So we're here. Okay, let's shoot this thing. Okay, so you're going to flip the switch and the guy's going to, the guy's going to open the valve and full blast and we're going to film this. So everybody make sure you, you know, this part of it we can't redo, right? This is a one-take deal. so Because you can only have the box empty once, right? Unless you go emptying it again, it's a pain in the ass. So we an action and we turn the thing on and it was unbelievable i mean it was one of those moments where we cut it we filled up the box maybe a foot and a half or so which is a lot by the way you up to like your up to like the between your knees and your ankles and as one take it, and we all stopped and everybody just looked at each other like oh my god that worked so well it works like better than better than you could possibly think that it would work right and we ended up shooting it and and i've ed- i've actually edited this scene together because i wanted to see what it was going to look like and nobody has seen anything like this before in the world people who like peril sort of stuff uh, they're going to, their heads are going to explode pretty much. And if you're a Batgirl fan, sir, your head is going to explode. <laughs> because Angela looks so fantastic. And I had a new cape made and new cowl made. And uh, God, it's just, it's one of those things where if I looked at this, you know, when I first started and said, okay, in 25 years, you're going to shoot this scene and it's going to look like this. or this movie, that. Uh, because we did a lot of other things that look equally at school. And I would go, wow, really? That's what I'm going to do? You know, uh, how, am I going, how am I going to do that? I have no idea how to do that. The bottom line is no one has any idea how to do it until they do it. As long as you can design it in a way that's safe, which I've done. Uh, crazy stickler about that sort of stuff you know, if we have a problem, we can open this box and empty the sand out in 10 seconds, right? It's going to make a humongous mess, but who cares, right? Uh, you know, somebody has claustrophobic problems in there, and I can't deal with this right now. I'm going to freak out. We're done, right? As it turns out, that didn't happen, and it all looked great, but um, we've done, Christina and I could talk about we've done so many crazy things over the years and built huge big pendulums and I can't even I don't know why I've gone through this sort of effort to do it um most sane people would not have 1500 pounds of pellets in their living room floor right now (laughs) but I do um because we just did this um, and no I'm not freaking doing it again ever <laughs> I'm in that mode right now well, it may change but because Kendra wants to do it of course of course and Christina of course Christina wants to do it and Kendra <laughs> wants to do it yeah. well I want to get in the box you know oh god um, well, yes but you don't understand you know what's involved in shooting this it's going to take three hours to do or four hours to do you know mm-hmm um anyway that's what it is That that's kind of the the story of shooting superheroine movies i think um well one of, none those... of us know have any idea what the fuck we're doing really <laughs> we just put one foot in front of the other until this thing shows up at the end right we've ma- i've made so many mistakes about filming and lighting and over the years that you'd hope by now i'd have it figured out right but um obviously having just shot a four-day movie i can tell you that's not the case
1: Hmm.
2: you still screw still screw stuff up so that's what it is
1: well one thing i know you get right is music because and this is the one fanboy question i'm going to ask okay go ahead I'd love to have a Spotify playlist of all the old girl music because that stuff gets me in the mood. <laughs>
2: yeah, I understand. There's,
1: and the story, story behind this too. Go ahead. I want to yep. hear the story behind it because it's right. the music in the Batman sixty six series. Yes. Even in the in my fetish, because my fetish is damsel in distress as well. Sure. It just puts you in this mood of, oh, my God, I am in this. Okay. And you have been able to take that and create your own that does the same thing. Well, here's here's the thing. Uh, I've, I've,
2: I've been a guitar player since I was 10. And I went to music school. And I wanted to be a rock star my whole life. Uh, there's nothing actually better than being on stage with an electric guitar and making a lot of and playing lead guitar or whatever on stage and, and doing it well in front of a bunch of people who are into it and that's why these rock stars deal with all the crap they deal with and travel all over the place on buses and shitty hotels and bad food and for one, for a two hour or one and a half hour thing they do on stage right because it is the best thing in the world so that's what I wanted to do and, I, and so I played guitar since I was a little kid and Uh, what's that now almost 50 years now playing guitar and I went to music school and learned how to orchestrate stuff and um so when I made the first the first O-Girl movie with Andrea Neal in it I stupidly and stupidly I could not even tell you how much bigger a word I could use than that gave the music to somebody else Oh, I have this guy, he goes, I'll write the music for you. Okay, fine. And what I got back was this sort of electronica crap, right? It was was so far from Batman music that I couldn't even begin to tell you what it is. And it was awful, but uh, I wasn't at the time recording music on my computer or anything, so I just sort of let it go and I put it in. When I made the next Ogre movie in 2004, This is like five years later now, or four years later. I said, screw that, I've got to write my own music. And and I'm not Nelson Riddle. For anybody who's a Batman fan and a music fan, understand that, and I'm not The Wrecking Crew. You guys watch a movie called The Wrecking Crew about these Sestry musicians in Los Angeles who played on everything in the 60s. And I mean everything. They also did all the Batman music and Nelson Riddle, who was Frank Sinatra's um, arranger, composer, wrote all the Batman music. So if you get the best players in the world, literally the best players in the world, who did everything from, um, I don't know, Aquarius, imagine you know that song, to the Beach Boys, who played all the Beach Boys songs, you put those people together, and you have the best of the best people playing it, I cannot recreate them. It's impossible. And you can't use original music because you will get nailed. There's, there's the thing, it's not just a copyright thing. They just don't come and say, take it down. They just say, you owe us X amount of dollars because you've used this licensed music. Yeah, we'll license it to you and you have to pay us. Here, pay us a bunch of money. So. I had to write my own music, and I took. Oh man, I want. I, if you've not, if people haven't noticed this about my personality, I always want to do the best job I can possibly do in anything. Right. So I took a year writing music for the first oak Girl* movie. It was so difficult for me. Um, Because you can write a cool piece of music, but it doesn't fit the scene that you're shooting, right? And it has to all come out of nowhere. This just has to appear. And I am not that good at making music for movies appear out of nowhere. It takes a lot more effort than me playing the guitar. So I wrote a whole bunch of music for it. And the scene in the beginning of the movie when Lady Felina comes down on the trapeze and steals the cat out of the box, for those people who've seen the movie. That's probably my favorite piece of music I've written for anything. It was um, and not necessarily recorded well, because I'm not a great engineer, but um, I wrote it, recorded, played it, everything myself, right in my bedroom. And I'm very proud of that music. Um, It's—we could all be proud of things we've done, right? And that scene with Diana Knight in it, who's just a doll—I uh, look, I still smile every time I see that scene with that music in it. And um, I've continued to do it. I wrote a really cool Batgirl theme for the Batgirl movie. That I tried to make it kind of like in the same genre, mm-hmm. you know, have the same feel to it, have the same vibe to it. I don't know how you can tell me how successful I've been doing it, but um, again, I'm, I don't have the wrecking crew to play it and I don't have Nelson Riddle to arrange the freaking horn section for it. You know, um, I just don't. If you've listened to Batman music, you understand that it's all surf guitars and awesome, awesome horn players and drummers. You know, that just got an incredible feel. So that's kind of what it is.
1: I can tell you from the perspective of someone who is a fetishist. Yes. And I explained this to Christina on the second show we ever had. I said, Christina, when I watch video of you as a superheroine, you look lovely. Obviously, you've worked very hard to be the way you look. I love your costumes because I have spandex as a fetish. Sure. But what really gets me off, as it were, is imagining I was you. Not looking at you but imagining i was you there are a
2: lot of people you are not alone in this i get a lot of emails about this so yes
1: and so hearing that music okay sets me off into a different world
2: to so the what, point
1: what is, where, go ahead to the point where if i were to have a scene and somebody put that music on in the background i would melt
2: okay what is your Favorite. If you know all of this stuff, which it seems like you do, what is your
1: favorite piece of music? Then the the one that starts with a very high pitch and goes low. The oh, that one. Okay,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's completely ripping off the
2: Batman thing.
1: And and that's my
2: for those music people. It's a minor third that he's talking about, Mm -hmm. which is just a that interval is the catwoman interval. Okay. If you listen to the catwoman music that Nelson Riddle did for mm-hmm. her, it's all over the place in there. That's her thing. So I I put together, I have the orchestration software and I put together the closest thing I could do as a layperson that I am to make it sound kind of catwoman-y, mm-hmm. right remember i couldn't do catwoman back in the day i'd get sued so i created lady felina because you know so derivative for god's sakes everything's derivative (laughs) um nothing's new uh but yeah i i wanted to create music i i wanted to create some sort of peril music that was batman-esque right and I know exactly which music you're talking about because I've Mm -hmm. used it a zillion times. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, Um, you have.
2: And it goes up by whole steps so that you can just continue forever. Mm. Never stop. Um, Yeah, that
1: one. That's a good one. Of all your set pieces, if the, and I don't know if it's real marble or not, but if the marble slab could talk,
2: about About, okay that's the one
1: that has the The
2: greenish yellow one
1: yeah that has the straps come through it and you usually have it at an angle
2: yeah that one yes i know exactly which one you're talking about it's in my garage The,
1: the people that have been on that yes and the perils that they've been in and the joy that they have had on that that's an interesting word okay go ahead it seems to me that when you look at all the people that have been on there, the Emily Addison's, the Christina Carters. Oh gosh, I could name Kendrick, five every, or six. Every, huh? every,
2: every every cafe model on the planet has been on that thing at one time or another.
1: Yes. What is so special about that? Or is it just the fact that it's just so yummy?
2: Uh, um the first time I, 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 I made it for the second O'Girl movie, the, the, the big, long, sort of episodic, never-ending O'Girl thing I put on the website called Obsession, which people can have probably watched various videos about. Um, I made it for that for an Emily Addison scene that was going to go up there. And, and my friend Ian Rath, who was helping, sharing a studio at the time, helped me build it. He's the reason that it's sort of that greenish yellow color. Uh, it's probably, I would never have put green in it, but he did. And um, I designed it with the straps and so you could basically strap somebody to it. And the first time I used it was not with Emily, but actually I think it was Angela, Ryan, I think. It was a long time ago, anyway. It reminded me of the sort of this mummy's hand scene from this old black and white movie, this girl strapped down to this thing. And I think that there's some sort of mad scientist vibe with that thing, that it is some sort of slab in a lab somewhere. And that trope has been used so many times, I think it's ingrained in people. So, It has this, when you use straps and you strap somebody down to it, it just has that vibe to it. And unfortunately for all these people, I know how to tie vibrators in place. (laughs) They're stuck in the right place and they don't move. And um, so a lot of people have had a lot of orgasms on that thing. Uh, the scene that we did with Emily will not be topped. the The <laughs> obsession scene with her, when she was still blonde, um, will never be topped. By I will I will never top it. Let me put it that way. It was so unbelievably real and in the moment that. I mean, the first part of it, she's being denied orgasm and denied orgasm and over and over and over again. And she really is just getting angrier and angrier at you me, know, when we're doing this. And then finally, I said, so fine, I'll just turn it on for four minutes or five minutes and at the end and just go, She And she had really not done a lot of orgasm scenes before this. this is, I think she'd done one before this. She had just started really sort of branching out into that, and she went insane, right? And it is not acted, you know? Um, I think the thing that that uh, people, I have two very, different parts of myself as as a producer. I do scripted superhero heroine stories, right, which are totally fake and, acted completely and mostly, you know, mostly completely acted. And then I do bondage scenes with people like with orgasms and stuff. And that stuff is not fake, right? It's, it's not fake porn. It's, this is, I wanted to create back in the day, I wanted to make bondage not evil. Okay. I wanted to make the, one of the thought processes I had with Corey in that in that strip club was that I wanted to have a site that showed bondage for what it is, which is just a way to play around with people, for people to play with each other, and for people to have their limits or the, you know where their test have their limits pushed. And I'm not trying to say this in a bad way. Um, for instance, Sherry DeVille, who's a a porn star, right? She loves working with me because she says that it's like a whole nother thing, right? It's having an orgasm tied up is so utterly different than having one where you're in control of it that for a lot of these gals you, you can't do it. They can't do it by themselves. Okay. And not a lot of people can tie up like I do. So it's not any, it's not something they can go have somebody else to do either. Interesting. Um, but the, the, the heights of these, some of these orgasms are just crazy. Just <laughs> right. And it's because it's because of a lot of mental things going on and the ability for them just to sort of let go, right? And feel like they don't have a choice even though they always do, by the way. It gets back to that other question of why people work with me and I'm not a dick, okay? There's nothing forced about anything, right? I don't believe you can force anyone to have an orgasm. Maybe you can. It would be pretty sick, though. I mean, some of these gals just love the fact that they, quote, unquote, don't have a choice. But they do, you know. But they want to, in their head, believe they don't. And some just love the way it feels. And, and the other part of it is that they can't stop it. So if they were just having a Hitachi put on them, and they came, they would shove that shit out of their crotch in two seconds flat, right? Well, some people sometimes they can't do that, and so they end up in another place that they can't get to any other way, right? And then they're having like, oh my God, this is intense, this is intense, oh my God. Versus if they weren't tied up, they would be kicking you in the face, right? Get that shit away from me, right? So this is what I mean. It was a very long-winded answer for this, but um, that's kind of the, the reason the cafe is the way it is. I wanted bondage to be an okay thing, not to be saw a Saw movie or an abduction thing where some guys abducted the gal next door, which is fine. I know there are a lot of people into that. I am not into that. Um, everything that I do is about having fun and consensuality in the core bottom line to this is, and maybe that's why i people work with me and, and like working with me for so many years is because i it's honestly what it is and and they have they hopefully have a lot of fun when they're doing it you know if they didn't they wouldn't be doing it i guess
1: What's left on Jim Weathers' bucket list?
2: Oh, boy. Well, I would have told you another Batgirl movie about two weeks ago, but now that's done. Um, I don't know at this point. I mean, I'm I just, uh, just going with the flow. Um, I've had such a crazy blessed life. That looking back on this, I, I I can't believe that I do what I'm doing, and that I've been able to do what I do. Because so many people have helped, you've got it. People have to understand that anything you do, even though I say I made this stuff, made these props by myself, there are so many people involved in this stuff, right? And they all want to do it for the right reason. They want to make something that's never been made before, right? Um, Dita once told me that, uh, Jim, these pictures are forever, okay? And, I mean, this is, what, 23 years ago, 20, 20 years ago, probably 21 years ago. She said to me, Jim, it doesn't matter. These pictures are forever. So we better do the best frickin' job we can do because they're gonna be out there for him. And I don't necessarily believe in legacies. I think you die and it's over. It's not, you know, uh, Van Gogh was a miserable individual. He never sold any paintings. He may be super popular now, but it didn't do him any good when he was living, right? So I just try to make now, enjoy what we're doing now, and make the best thing I can make, really, to be honest with you. Um, My goal when I do bondage, just for those people who do bondage, is to do the coolest looking thing that is the easiest for the person to deal with. Okay? Those things don't always go together. There are things you do that are just really hard. Um, called stringent bondage or whatever. But the goal is to create something that is really cool looking. Um, It just has the right vibe to it. And, And stuff really does last forever. You know, that stupid story I wrote 25 years ago or good god 27 years ago 28 years ago good god a long time ago um still around you know um the the movies i've shot 20 years ago are still around with all their flaws so uh, i just try to man i mean i can't tell you how lucky i am the people who work with me put up with so much crap You know, it just, shooting a movie like we just shot is not something you do in a couple hours. It takes hours and hours, long days, and everybody just wants to do it. And it makes it into a really, just an awesome time. So um, I think that that would be what I would tell everyone out there.
1: Jim Weathers, on behalf of... I'd say men, but I think that humans of all genders have appreciated the work that you have done. You have formed many a fantasy in my life, as I mentioned from the reverse side of things of me wanting to be them. It's interesting. And I appreciate the work that you have done and the the joy and the imagination you've brought to it and I hope that and I'm sure every day with the subscribers that come in but I hope that you know what a positive influence you have been on so many and personally I just wanted to be able to say thank you.
2: Well thank you very much. I am Anybody will tell you I've, I've got I've got the ego the size of Texas and I'm arrogant as hell in what I do. I don't try to be a a, a dick, but um, I try to think that I've had some sort of positive influence. I hope I hope that I've had some sort of positive influence for people who like bondage in the world, and and, and I can tell you that the current fashion trends. Uh, uh, man, it's like they're, they're dressing up on stage and stuff that I couldn't find 25 years ago, you know? It's, I don't think that I personally had anything to do with that. I think it's just the way society is, but um, I hope I've had some sort of influence that people understand that, that bondage isn't some, it's not always some crazy serial killer guy on television, you know? And it's still portrayed that that way. And it's disgusting, but it's it's not. It's so much more, when Corey and I first started this and we were talking to girls in strip clubs and stuff, trying to get them to come model for us, they looked at us like we were crazy people. You do what? You want me to do what? And now it's just like, oh yeah, it's that bondage thing, it's cool, right? It really was not cool when I started this job and I'm glad that it is now. And hopefully I've had some sort of positive um, influence on the world. I don't know. I just take smutty pictures of girls tied up and post them on the internet. And um, yeah, that's what I do.
1: When I finished the interview with Jim for this program, I said to him, Jim, I've got so many more questions. And he simply answered, I've got a lot of time. Ask away. So on Friday, we will premiere part two of the very special week with Jim Weathers, where he will talk about some of the questions that I had, which probably are some of the questions that you may have had. It's a wonderful continuation of a conversation that lasted three hours and 15 minutes. And I wanted to make sure that we brought it all to you. So that will be coming up on Friday on the show. Until then, I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always
0: what women and other wonderful humans want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at what women want P1 on Twitter, what women want podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at wwwpodcast. podcast. This has been a presentation of dating kinky, kinky done differently.